This is the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, a collection of sermons from Dr. Lewis's time as a teaching pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. We hope you grow in your faith and love Jesus more as you learn through these teachings. Here is this week's message. You know, when I was a child growing up, I thought of Bethlehem as we sang that hymn. I thought of Bethlehem much the way I thought of Disneyland. You know, when you used to sing those songs and see those images and the wise men and the shepherds and the clear night and the little town, it was all so magical and sweet. It was pure. It was clean. It was breathtaking. It was a place filled with wonder and delight. Is that not how you thought of Bethlehem when you were a young child? And yet, over time, as I became an adult and as I have looked at Bethlehem from a historical viewpoint over really the centuries, and uh, having been a frequent visitor in the streets of Bethlehem personally, uh, I have found that Bethlehem is a far different place. Bethlehem was, and Bethlehem still is, for all practical matters, a really small place. It's a dirty place. It's a crowded place. It's an ordinary place. It's a place that's full of people just like you and me, but it's also full of selfishness, full of greed, full of wickedness, full of emptiness. And yet, hurtling into that small, crowded, ordinary place, God entered. And we sang about it in that wonderful phrase, love's pure light. And that's Bethlehem. You know, I've come to understand in this in the years of an adult, that Bethlehem is really best understood not as a town, but really as a symbol. Bethlehem is a symbol of your life and my life. Bethlehem is a place like you and me. It's, we think of ourselves kind of magical at times, but we come to understand ourselves not that way at all. We're really just small, aren't we? And we're ordinary. And we have lives that are crowded with all kinds of things. And we find ourselves not full of necessarily wonder and delight, but oftentimes we find ourselves full of the things that were filled in Bethlehem. Things of wickedness and selfishness and greed. And the babe in Bethlehem is more than just a babe, more than just the Christ child. In fact, the babe of Bethlehem really is a symbol of how Jesus Christ enters every life. Because when He comes in, He comes in silently, doesn't He? He comes in quietly, and at first he's small and insignificant. But if you give the Christ child enough time, and if you give the Christ child enough growth, that Christ is destined to be someone who will spiritually overhaul your life, just like he overhauled the lives of so many in that first century in the nation of Israel. Well, I want to give season's greetings to all of you this morning. It's a special day. It's Christmas. And it's a time that really is the most wonderful time of the whole year because of what it means. And Christmas, really at the core, is about gift giving. It started with those wise men who saw the star and who followed it and came to the Christ child and offered those gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But you know, it became a regular custom in Europe by the year 1100 A.D., when this saint, St. Nicholas, began to be the symbol of gift-giving, and people all over Europe made it a custom to give those gifts. And now in America, 
what would Christmas be without gift giving? Right? In fact, what would the economy be without gift giving? I don't know how you look back on Christmas, but when I think about Christmas and look back, I think about those moments with some of those spectacular gifts, you know, that you waited for. I remember standing in my bedroom waiting for my mom and dad to call me out. And I had these visions of grandeur when I came out to tear open those presents. Remember? And you walked out and it just seemed like the room was transformed into this surrealistic place. Now on one occasion, I remember I had this little toy robot and he would lift his head and shoot out a missile. And I was so excited about, you know, trying those little controls. And the very first thing he did, I remember he started moving forward towards the Christmas tree and his little head opened up <laughs> and he shot the missile out. And let me tell you, it was, it was spectacular. It went right through the angel on the top of the tree. <laughs> and I remember another Christmas years later when we as a family had, had gathered and our daughters were getting a little older and it was that time to give them a a car. You know, you're going to entrust a car to your daughters. And I was trying to think of some way to do that. So I remember I called them into the, the living room and I put on a, a record, an old CD with the Beatles, you know, Baby, You Can Drive My Car. I didn't tell them what it was about. I just got them behind me in a train. We danced around the room. Baby, you can drive my car. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah. And all the way we went. And we got to the garage and I opened the door and there it was. What was spectacular. What a memory. I remember being down on Christmas Eve with my daughters. It was our 20th wedding anniversary. We were married right after Christmas. And boy, just looking over this thing, trying to think of some way I could honor my wife for 20 spectacular years of marriage and picking out that diamond necklace. And I never will forget her opening it on Christmas morning. The delight, the wonder. See, Christmas is a time of gift giving. It's, a, it's really a special time and Christmas is about gifts. But I want you to know the best gifts, the brightest gifts, the most interesting gifts, the most impactful gifts, the gifts that last forever are not those gifts we give to each other, are they? But they are in fact those gifts that God brings us not in a season and not in a day, but that God gives continually throughout our lives. You know, that's expressed in a wonderful statement in Ephesians 4, verse 7. Here's what it says. It says, Now to each one of us, each one of us, there has been given gifts of grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. I love that last phrase. It's a little hard to understand at first unless you think about according to the measure of the gift of Christ. How those gifts come to you are measured by the gift of Christ. It would be like saying, um, to help us understand, it would be like saying that you were going to be given a gift according to Bill Gates. Now, if you're going to give a gift from Bill Gates, you'd think it'd be pretty good, wouldn't you? According to Donald Trump, according to Sam Walton, or somebody like that, because if it's a gift coming from there, you're going to expect it to be a really special gift. Well, the gifts that are given to each one of us are according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Living Bible says it even better. It says it this way, Christ has given each one of us whatever He wants us to have out of His rich storehouse of gifts. Spectacular stuff there. Wonderful stuff is what He brings to us. If anyone, if there's anyone who knows about giving gifts, 
It's the person of Jesus Christ. And today, as we celebrate for approximately the 1,998th time, the birth of Jesus Christ, I thought it only appropriate for us to spend a little time reveling in those gifts, but in particular, those gifts that He is still giving today. See, it didn't just happen around Bethlehem in the first century. It's happened every day, in every generation, in every century since. You know, there are four gifts up here. You see these four big boxes that we want to unwrap today. And those four boxes are kind of symbols that specifically single out some of those gifts that Jesus Christ is still giving. And the first has to do with a life. And I want you to watch for just a moment the background of that life. My name is Jen. Jed Archer. I guess I should warn you before we get started that this isn't your normal Christmas story, but it is a Christmas story. I was born August 31st, 1955. Cute little guy, wasn't I? I grew up in a typical American family, in the house that Dad worked real hard to pay for. I know because he told me so. Growing up was fun for the most part. Thinking back on it, I remember lots of fun things. I was a smart kid, but I was never much of a bookworm. I had a few problems in school, but nothing out of the ordinary. I guess that all started changing sometime late in junior high. Like I told you, I was a smart kid, but I didn't really fit into the system. I started asking questions that nobody thought I should ask, and no one wanted to answer. The only kids I knew and could relate to at all used drugs to help answer their questions. It was the best alternative I could see, so I jumped into it, head first. It seemed like my world changed overnight. Finally, I was in control of my own destiny, but I had no clue what to do. I was scared. Life made no sense to me, and I wanted out. I'd spent my entire life searching for something with meaning trying to make sense out of all this, and I was never able to find it and never added up to me. Uh, I'd watched other people in their search as they sought money, power, sex, drugs, material possessions, and I saw what they had. I didn't want that either. I'm a video editor. One day I went to work. Uh, it's in a room very much like this one. Uh, while I knew I was depressed, I, I suddenly became aware that I was having feelings of suicide, that I was thinking about death, that I was fantasizing about it, that I, I wanted to die. Uh, I, I knew that wasn't right. I, I called my doctor uh, who asked me to come in. We talked. The decision was made that I needed to be in a hospital for treatment. I agreed and basically went home a year and a half later. I don't believe there's any words that can describe that kind of despair. It, it was truly a living hell. Every day that went by, every cup of pills I was given in the hospital, every shock treatment I received, all the hours spent staring at a ceiling or curled up in a corner, just reinforced that I needed to die. I began an elaborate plan over the next couple months for my suicide. I read about ways to do it. 
I packed boxes. I wrote letters to my family. The day came. I spent the day drinking all day. Uh, that night, I got in my car with a bunch of uh, bottle of pills, a couple of bottles of alcohol, drove down to the end of the road, end of a country road. Um, that was the last thing I remember. I woke up a couple of days later, was in intensive care. I quickly realized I was alive and I was mad about it. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to hear what anybody had to say. I, I, I got out of there and ran out through the emergency room doors, went outside. It was cold, it was raining. And all I could see ahead of me was an interstate and a bridge. And the only thing that was in my mind was get to that bridge. I just wanted to jump off that bridge. Um, and I took off running. Somewhere along the way, I passed out on the side of the road. I started waking up again. They took me back in the emergency room, um, I, and I was I was still so angry um, that I, I couldn't even succeed at my own death. And I was so mad about that. But it was probably for the first time I started realizing that maybe death was not my destiny, and that that something was intervening that maybe I needed to live. I started to realize maybe there was a purpose in my life and that, that even though I didn't know what that purpose was, that I could find out and that I needed to begin that process. And that is where my Christmas story begins. This is my friend Lee Burles. I've known him about a year and he, uh, I'm truly grateful for him. He has, he has really showed me what a man in Christ is about. And thank you for being here. Um, what you saw in the video, represented a small part of my life, but it really told a story that existed all my life. Um, where the video ends, I was at a turning point in my life, and I knew uh, there was one area I had not searched out uh, to find meaning in life, and that was through church and my relationship with God. Um, I knew there was a God, but I didn't know who God was. I had been in church, but I'd never found anything there. Um, and I, I found it interesting that during all those years of treatment and the hospitals and the professionals and the therapists and people trying to help me, um, no one ever told me to seek a relationship with God or with his son Jesus for years. Um, that all changed when I came to this church to fellowship. Um, what I saw when I came here, uh, even though I was reluctant to be here, what I saw um, was what I found here was what I've always been looking for, and that was life. I saw that life in you, in each of you. I saw it in your eyes. I heard it in your voices. I heard it in your prayers. I saw it in the actions that you took, um, and that's what I wanted. Um, I remember uh, um, for a couple of months, if, if you look in your bulletin, there's a little tear out that says, um, you know, for new members that, you know, fill in information. I remember it says name, address, city, phone, marital status, check here. I'm a guest from out of town, check approximate age, check. I would like to be uh, signed up for the next discovery class, check. 
I would like to know more about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to tell you I was baffled that it was as simple as a check. All I had to do was get out my pencil and check that. Um, I conveniently did not bring my pencil for about three months. Um, But uh, I think one day I did, and I made that check. And I started a process. I started a process of getting plugged in that was, uh, went through the discovery classes, went through the one-to-one, which is the greatest discipleship that this church offers, um, equipping center, community groups. Um, it, it, was during, it was during the one-to-one that I realized for the first time in my life that God loved me and wanted a relationship with me and that God had initiated that relationship, and that all I had to do was accept that. And I did accept that last year. Um, <laughs> what I have in my life now is, is um, much more than I earned much more than I thought I deserved. Um, it was greater than my expectations of where I sat e- even a year ago. Um, I have a peace and comfort. I have comfort in knowing I now have answers to any questions that I have, and that's through a book called the Bible, and that was explained to me. Um, I have great relationships with great people, and I have a great relationship with a great God, and that is the greatest gift that I've received that gift of life, and I'm grateful for that. Judd, based on the testimony you've given here today and the testimony I've seen of Christ in your life, I baptize, baptize you, my brother, in Christ. Bear with Christ in baptism. Praise the Lord in his life. Just ordinary people, right? Small full of all kinds of things, too crowded to know where real life is, and yet in the midst of that, life enters in. And that kind of leads me to the first present. I love opening presents, don't you? But you open this present, and what you find is that the first thing Jesus Christ brings is a sense of new life. And you know, there are people here today who need this gift. One of the pleasures that I've had over 25 years of ministry is seeing crusty people, hard people, depressed people, addicted people, confused people, lost people, empty people, hurting people, broken people, all find that there was a gift waiting for them at any time, at any place, in any season. Just simply the gift of a new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, any person be in Christ, they are a new creature. The old things have passed away. And then it says, and I love this word, it's like it jumps off the page, Behold! New things have come. You know, you see Jed up there being baptized and being a part of our body. And every week when you come in and you're participating in this worship service, I want you to look over in the little box over here. The little sound booth. And there you'll see a guy who not only has found new life, he's even found new purpose, a new ministry. He's over there running our whole sound ministry. 
See, that's part of what Jesus Christ offers. And that's why I want you to know on this Christmas Day, there's a gift giver far bigger than any gift that you can ever get from a friend or a family member. And it's that gift of new life. And you may believe here today because maybe you've grown up in the church, He can't give you that kind of gift that you've already kind of received it, but it hadn't made a difference. No, He's still there desperate to have you open that package for you. For you. There's a second gift that um, we want to look at this morning and it has to do with direction. I'm going to ask if uh, Dave and Susan Keller will come up. Dave, tell us what it has to do with your family. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, Robert, uh, our family is uh, four kids. We've got a 27-year-old who lives in Denver. We've got a uh, sophomore in high school, a eighth grader, and a fifth grader. And uh, today's story is really about uh, Ashley, who is our uh, 13-year-old daughter. And uh, it starts really when Ashley was in first grade. And in first grade, uh, she was participating in kind of a recreational gymnastics kind of program when a, uh, one of the coaches at the gym kind of set uh, Susan aside one day and said, uh, I want you to see something, and took, uh, took Susan over to, uh, to see what Ashley was doing and says, you know, I don't know whether you can tell or not, but this, uh, this, this child of yours has some real talent. And, uh, you know, you really ought to consider, you know, sending her on to the next level and getting into the competitive side of gymnastics and that kind of thing. So we, uh, uh, we agreed to do that. And uh, Ashley, frankly, got real excited about it. Uh, she um, um, uh, progressed through multiple different levels. Uh, at the time, I guess she was six years old. So up to 13 years, the different levels of gymnastics went very quickly through the whole thing. In fact, uh, when she was nine years old, she was uh, identified as a part of the uh, talent opportunity program for the USA gymnastics team, which is the one that uh, you know, goes to the Olympics, is on television, that kind of thing. And uh, she was one of the uh, 70 uh, uh, 9, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds identified for this program. So for four years, she'd go off to these camps and would test every year. And, you know, things, things were actually were going real well. She was motivated motivated by this. She was excited about it. She was uh, just, uh, you know, it was, a, it was an exciting time in her life. And uh, it seemed to be an exciting time in our life. Uh, she had a dream of uh, going to the Olympics that, that uh, that you know, we kind of caught on to, and uh, uh, there, there was a point in time where the Olympics changed, and you had to be a certain age, and that dream was put off in the year 2000 to the year 2004 because she missed it by by three months, and we were disappointed by that. But the dream changed at that point. It was that you know she could get a college scholarship and go on and do well in, in that arena. So, uh, but at the same time uh, that all these dreams were occurring, uh, there was some uh, there were some other things that were going on that uh, were kind of markers for us. So. Kind of some prices to be paid. Yeah, a number of prices yeah. to be paid. And Susan, why don't you tell us about that? Well, um, scheduling was a, a really, really big thing for us. Um, it would start an af about an hour before the kids got out of school. Um, I would go sit in carpool. I would take a, a book and read or do a Bible study, but I had to be there an hour ahead of time so that we would miss the uh, traffic jam because when we got home, we had about 30 minutes for Ashley to change clothes, get her uh, things ready to go to gym, and have a nutritious snack uh, because she was leaving at 4 o'clock and wouldn't get back until 9 that night. Um, this meant everything for the boys was put on hold, and they understood that, but uh, until Ashley was off for gym, that was all that we focused on. Um, this also affected family meals. There were no family meals during the week. Um, we would eat together on weekends, but um, there were two to three shifts of family meals during the weeknight. Um, vacations were pretty much uh, centered around Ashley's schedule and you know, when the meets were and when she was in uh, heavy training. 
So uh, life pretty much revolved around gymnastics. Yeah. Yeah. What were you thinking during that time, Dave? Well, you know, you kind of get caught up in it. And uh, I remember that uh, last spring, Ashley uh, uh, participated in her first elite meet. And uh, elite is the top level of gymnastics. That's where when you go to a meet and she's competing with the likes of the people you see on television. And, uh, you know, it, um, you know, I was looking at this and saying, wow, this, this is real neat. Here's all these coaches, Bella Caroli and all these others, you know, and they're kind of watching Ashley and, and all this kind of thing. And, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, it, it's all there. The talent's there. The opportunity's there. The coaches know who she is. They're, they're recognized. It. I mean, it, you know, you, you're really, you get caught up in it and you say to yourself, you know, there, there's glory here. You know, if we just kind of hang with it and get to the next level and, and just keep pushing. Hmm. But with all of that, all that push, all those scheduling changes and the dynamics of all that taking place in your family, there's some red flags that started to appear, for instance. Well, one of them was uh, when you get to the level of elite gymnastics, um, usually your daughter will fly down ahead with her coaches because there's training. Um, they have all these days of uh, competition and training, and you usually fly down um, after she is already there. And she's staying with the coaches. Um, they set up her schedule and they kind of tell you when you can see her. They kind of step in as surrogate parents for her. So that was a little scary that, mm. you know, we could lose control. Um, knowing that we did have ultimate control, we could step in and say, okay, this is enough. But, um, you know, you kind of go along for the ride for a while. But. Mm -hmm. What else, Dave? Well, uh, it, it, as I think I told you, I, I'm involved with Fellowship Student Ministries, and which is the junior high, senior high ministry here. And um, on Sunday mornings, and I'm responsible for the for the seventh graders. And uh, uh, every year, Mark Demaz gets up in front of of the group of parents and says, you know, you know, here's kind of what it, what it's like in in FSM. Here's our expectations. And one of the comments he made uh, this year that you know sometimes things just spring into your mind. He says, you know, those kids who are able to participate on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights, and those kids who are able to participate and coaching groups uh, have a much better chance of maintaining their personal relationship with Jesus Christ as they go into high school. That Sunday morning, in effect, just isn't enough. And here I was thinking in the background, you know, I've got this eighth grader, Ashley. She's, uh, there's no chance to do a coaching group, no chance to do Tuesday night just because of the schedule that we're running. Hmm. Other things. Started affecting some of your children too, didn't it? Well, this was a red flag that we missed, and this is really embarrassing to even admit, but um, when Mark was in the first grade, we lost our carpool for Ashley. Um, the trip to the gym was around an hour round trip. Um, so being the mom that I was supporting my daughter in gymnastics, I threw my first grader in the car with me for the trip there and the trip back and the trip there again uh, later that night and back. So he was in the, the car two hours a night and I thought, well, this is okay because we've got time together. It's just the two of us. You know, we can do homework. We'll use this time constructively. But by spring break, uh, the school psychologist uh, talked with us and said, Mark has reached burnout. And if it weren't uh, so close to spring break, we'd ask you to pull him out of school for a while. So. Wow. Um, you know, we took a real quiet um, family vacation up at Heber Springs with mm. a little downtime, but um, that was when we missed. Yeah. And then even Ashley herself. Well, it, Ashley came to us basically in the middle of September and said, uh, you know, I retire. 
I mean, I'm done. I, it, and she said to retire. She didn't say quit, which is interesting. But, uh, you know, it really sends, it sends you as a parent, in, a parent into some turmoil. I mean, you know, should we, should we push her to continue? I mean, should we ride this thing out? Is this just a 13-year-old thing that's going on here that, uh, that she can get over? Uh, you know, she's so talented. She's got this gift from God that, you know, she look, look at how she could, you know, carry this thing on. And, um, um, and yet, you know, you're asking yourself, well, is this normal? I mean, is this a normal problem to be having? I mean, what should we? What, what should we be doing about this? And, you know, uh, it, throughout the summer, it, it had been a challenging time um, of, 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 of her wanting or trying to figure out what she wanted to do. And we're, of course, praying and you're not quite sure what to pray to God. You're, you're saying, you know, do I do I pray that, you know, she just you know gets through it? Do I pray for God's will? What is God's will? It becomes just a, an incredible entanglement for a uh, uh, at least it seems like you're in this ball of spaghetti that you can't get out of. Mm-hmm. So. And as a dad, I'd kind of be looking at Olympic gold part of the time, <laughs> you know? And yet, here you guys are with all this happening, and it just seems like what started out as a good thing, now it's just enveloped your whole family, and now you're out of balance, and you're out of sync, and so you begin to kind of say, where are we in all this? And yeah. you turn to prayer, and what did you learn? Well, w- what we learned at the way the world treats you. I mean, uh, one of the things that I probably didn't tell you is we, Susan and I have been Christians here at Fellowship since 1990, so it, it wasn't like there was a, a there was a Christian transformation in the middle of this whole thing. There really wasn't. I mean, we were living the Christian life at the same time this whole thing is going on. And, you know, what, what happens is that the good things in life can sometimes be a great deception to you, and I think we were really deceived by what was going on from, uh, from a gymnastics standpoint. Yeah, what about you, Susan? Well, um... Just one of the things that I learned is that you really have to love your kids unconditionally. But not only that, and probably more importantly, you have to let them know that. Mm. Um, they have to know that you love them for who they are, mm. not for what they achieve. And this really frees them up to um, be able to walk away from something, to mm. walk um, in a new direction, um, and to know that they're not disappointing you. Mm and that uh, more importantly that you're not going to reject them mm. for this so just let them know mm. hey. well and and last it's just that uh if 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 we didn't listen we could have very easily gone over the edge on this and you, you say okay Kella, what's listening well i mean listening is is the red flags that go up and the red flags are there for a reason and most likely it's the holy spirit that's that's bringing those things up to you robert and you know the the other thing i learned is that being in a body of believers where it's not that anyone you know came up directly and challenged us but it was the little things it was the little things on a in a on a sunday morning message it was the little things in a uh, in community group where we'd be praying for ashley and somebody would just ask a question that would just kind of you know twinge is this really the right thing for us to be doing it's uh, it's the community group lessons that uh, a couple of weeks ago brought up uh, reconciliation and how we're reconciled to Christ. And I thought to myself, am I reconciled to my kids? I mean, do I love them in the same unconditional way that 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 Christ loves me? And uh, it just it gets you thinking about those kind of things. So uh, men's fraternity and the role that I was supposed to play in leading the family out of this versus just letting this pace take over. That's my responsibility for the pace in the family. So uh, that, there, there's a tremendous amount of things that come from a fellowship of believers that just keep you from going over the edge. Can you guys identify with this? You know, starting out with something good, and then that thing just keeps growing and becomes more intense, and before long, you're not running it, it's running you. 
That's what I want you to hear in all this. And yet in the midst of that, here are these influences, these, in a sense, gifts, if you will, that God's given you through a body of believers and through His own Holy Spirit. And He's trying to bring about a, a balance. And that's obviously what He's been doing in your all's life. And so now we're kind of on the other side. We're trying to bring this world back together. And, and uh, what, what's changed? Well, you know, it's interesting. Even after all this was done and, and Ashley was, you know, back with, with the family in, a, in and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I was still kind of holding on to the fact that, you know, you know, maybe she'll change her mind someday. And, uh, you know, maybe this will still continue. And yet, um, you know, about six months ago, I guess it was, while she was still in gymnastics, uh, I'd, I'd come to Susan. And I said, uh, Susan, um, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm close to Ashley. She just turned 13 years old. This seems like a critical time, you know, for a father and a daughter to be able to bond. And yet, you know, I just, I, I don't feel like that bond is there. And uh, she, Susan, great suggestions, go to lunch, go to breakfast, do, you know, just spend time. And yet there was no time to go for a dad to spend with his gymnast, his gymnast daughter. And uh, it was uh, about, about though I'd say 60 days ago, maybe a little longer, that after after Ashley had retired, where she, uh, um, I, I was just sitting in the living room one night and uh, reading the paper or something like that, <laughs> <laughs> and she just walked in, and she just sat down, and she just started talking, and you know I thought, you know, forget the dream, you know, forget my dream or whatever. I got my daughter back. Thank you all so Thank much you. for sharing this. Well, that's one of the gifts that God gives. And, uh, you know, they said he found he needed help. And how many of you all need help in that way? How many need that gift? The gift of new direction. You know, all through life, there are all these competing influences. And here we are, and you only get to do it one time, right? And it's so easy to get sucked into a direction that looks good, but then the Scriptures already tell us in the Proverbs there is a way that seems right to a man, but the way they're in is what? Tell me. Tell me a little louder. Do you really believe that? See, I think that uh, we got some down here who really believe it. Some of you still don't believe it, but you'll find out later on. But I want you to know it's so important that you understand that one of the gifts that came into the world 2,000 years ago was the gift of new direction. Keeping life in sync. Keeping it in balance. Helping you not to find on the other side with all the regrets and pain and hurt that go with that that you did wrong, but on the front side to trust Him, to listen to Him, to let His Holy Spirit who came into the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness, what we did wrong and what we should do right, to steer us on that course so we find that new direction. So on the other side, there's that abundant life as well. These are real gifts in real time, in real history. I want to tell you personally about a third gift that will affect almost everyone in this room in one way or another. You know, two years ago, I had the opportunity to stand up here in the pulpit and talk to you all about the concept of I-squared. Remember that? And we were just introducing it as a concept, a way of moving our church aggressively into the community in a way that would bring glory to God. And to launch I-square, I said that there were three significant obstacles that stood in the way. The first obstacle, do you remember? It was facilities. We lacked facilities. We needed new parking. We needed new student ministry space, new office space, new learning center space, and so on. We were real imbalanced. And yet, it was hard to even contemplate new facility when we had that second obstacle, debt. And at the time, we had almost $6 million of debt, although 
As of today, that's been reduced down to $2.5 million worth of debt. And so we were so caught up in that, but I mentioned a third obstacle, and that third obstacle was what I call specialty staff. Remember that? And that specialty staff was different than our church staff because the people we've hired are here for the church body, but the specialty staff were for outreach. They were for reaching out and helping to plant churches and for church conferencing and for working in the community and working around the world and doing church residency programs for seminary graduates and so on and so forth. That was kind of the dream. There were two things I wanted you to know at that time about those specialty staff. One was that we were gonna to have to focus on the first two for a number of years. We didn't know how many years that was gonna be, but hopefully after we were out of debt, whenever that would be, and after we had built our facilities, we would begin to add slowly some specialty staff to do these things. And then secondly, and that would probably take years, who knows how long that would take. But then secondly, I said that we had learned from other churches that we had learned it was best to keep the specialty staff and the church staff separate. They were really two different focus organizations. And uh, we even attended a national church conference where they told us, a few other churches who've tried this said, you know, you need to keep those staffs separate and form kind of a subsidiary of the church. So we've done that. We kind of in a shell form, we said, well, we'll call it Fellowship Associates. You know, that'll be our company. And uh, what Fellowship Associates would do was when we finally had those people in place, we had a very ambitious 15-year goal. Here's what it was. that We said what we wanted to do in our lifetime and the life that was given for us was we would hope to plant 100 churches where we would specifically involve, be involved in planting 100 churches. We said if we had that staff, you know, we could probably network and impact uh, directly a thousand churches. And that would be through if we had this staff through consulting and conferencing and networking and planning and all that kind of thing. And then if we had a national church conference with people coming in and resources that we developed, we could probably influence at least indirectly up to at least 10,000 churches over a 15 year period of time. That's a real ambitious goal. And it would require a company that we called Fellowship Associates. And I want to show you the company, at least in an organization that we had in mind. It started out with this company where we'd have to have a director with an administrative assistant. And not only that, you'd have to have this agency that was basically called church development. So you'd need a church development director. And that would be involved in church planning and church consulting and national church conferencing. And then we talked about, you know, having an additional piece to this puzzle, and that would be in the area of church resource distribution. You know, we started a bookstore, but really expanding that, and then also on top of that, having a, uh, a resource supplier for people who wanted our books and our materials, our curriculum, and all that. Then on top of that, we talked about having a Central Arkansas Life Skills Center, a place in the city, it could be movable or whatever, where we're teaching out in the community about marriage, about parenting, about finances, about all kinds of things that we have resources that you could do to help other people. And then lastly, we talked about a church residency program. So we needed a residency director with, with uh, residents that were full-time here. And we would call these young men out of the seminaries, the best and the brightest, to make a difference in our world. That's approximately some 14 staff if you include the four residents. And if you think about where we are now, it would take a while to build an organization like that, wouldn't it? And it would cost a lot of money because you have to have staff, you have to have office space, you have to have operational budgets, none of which we have right now or would be able to give. So I want to open a gift here this morning. And here's what this gift is. And it's kind of consistent with um, what Jesus Christ does in a lot of areas of life. It's called the gift 
of new abundance. And what I mean by that, it's that, it's that thing where God moves into your life in an unexpected way and He does something that you, you think is way above anything He could ever do. It's, it's really in accords to what it says in Ephesians 3 where it says, Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This morning I want to tell you that a grant was given, a financial donation of a huge proportion that is going to provide every one of those things right now for this church. To the glory of God. I mean, right now we're going to start by hiring those staff and begin immediately with a, with a secondary company to begin to use those staff to reach out across our city, our state, and our nation, all because of the exceedingly abundant grace gifts of God to us. To us. It's an amazing thing what God does. And I want you to know that that's not the only time He does it because somewhere in your life this year, God will come out of the blue and abundantly bless your life in a way that you've never contemplated or understood, which really brings us to the fourth gift. And this fourth gift is really for you. And what is it? Well, here it is. <laughs> it's a gift that um, I can't tell you about because I don't really understand what kind of gift God will give you, but I can tell you some things about it. I'll tell you that this gift down here will be customized. Don't you like it on Christmas morning when you open up again? You know, because we all get the shirt and the tie and those kind of things. But somebody knew you so well and thought about you so long and figured you out and they gave you a gift and when you opened it, there was kind of a magic there because the minute you opened it, it wasn't just the gift, it was, it was that the gift was a perfect fit. Did you know God knows you so well? That's the only way He ever gives a gift. It's customized. It's just right. It's always on time. And God never leaves anyone out because to each one, to each one, God has given gifts of grace according to the riches of the measure of Christ. It's a special Christmas for all of us. And there are all these gifts that God gives. The gift of new life, the gift of new direction, the gift of new abundance, and the gift of an infinite variety of custom-made gifts just for you. That's why we celebrate Christmas, the time of gift-giving. And I want you to know here this morning that this week when you're around that tree and you've opened up all the gifts and that last one has finally been opened and all of a sudden you hear this huge vacuum kind of feeling. All the life goes out of the room because the last gift has been opened. And maybe you have a child who runs around the tree and says, Words like, is this it? <laughs> you know that feeling? I just want you to remember what you've seen today. And with all sincerity of heart, I want you to look into those eyes and say, oh no, sweetie. No. The best gifts are yet to come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You this morning as we celebrate in music and in and really through the lives of people. The wondrous gifts 
of grace that you give. Silently, unexpectedly, surprisingly, abundantly, your gifts are just right. And we thank you that you don't just give them in a moment of time once a year, but that your gifts are continuous for all eternity. We've enjoyed that even today. Thank you for this great body. Thank you for the spirit of Christmas. Thank you for the babe born in the manger. Thank you for the unconditional love that comes from the throne of heaven. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. It really helps us when you rate and review this podcast. If you found today's teaching helpful, take time to do that today. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. Visit soundofarose.com for any of your podcasting needs.